The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hello everybody, <coughs> this is Shlomo Cohen with a shiur on Parsha Dra'eh. This week's Parsha is the Parsha of Kashrut. Kashrut is the manufacturer's guide to how to look after your body. I had a friend who just bought a new Ferrari. And with the Ferrari came the, 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 the book's manual. And in that manual it had very, very specific details about what types of oil to put in and where to put it and warnings about putting in the wrong type of oil and putting things that weren't specially made for a Ferrari. Now, when you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a new car, you're not going to take any risks. You're going to follow the manufacturer's manual. If he says to put in a particular type of oil, you'd be a total idiot to put a different type of oil in. None of us would do that. The same thing applies to Kashrut. Hashem made us. He knows what our bodies need, what is going to help our bodies function in the proper way, and not just our bodies, of course, also our souls. What does our soul need? What type of food does our soul need? And anyone who wasn't to follow the manufacturer's guide as far as their body is concerned, which is a thousand times more complicated than a Ferrari and worth a thousand times more, would be a total idiot, <laughs> right? I think we'd all agree on that. So we have the halachas of kashrut, we have the laws of kashrut, the Torah tells us what animals we can eat and what animals we can't eat, what's going to be good for our soul and what's not going to be good for our soul. What I want to talk about today is shechita. Shechita is the way that we have been commanded by Hashem to slaughter our animals before we eat them. The purpose of shechita is a spiritual thing. Certainly we're trying to get all the blood out of the animal. That's the practical side of it. But of course there are definitely spiritual things involved in Shrita which we don't necessarily understand. In the world today, there's a lot of talk about Shrita. The non-Jews have had claims for hundreds of years that Shrita, our way of slaughtering animals, is cruel. It's a type of ritual slaughter which shouldn't be allowed in modern times. Switzerland, the most peace-loving country in the world, has banned Shrita for over a hundred years. There was a vote in the whole of Switzerland and it was decided that they're banning Shrita. 
because it's a cruel way of killing an animal, this ritual type of slaughter that the Jews want to do. In Belgium, just recently, a couple of years ago, they've banned Shechita. The European Union, in their rules, which don't obligate all European countries, but their recommendations, and their recommendation is that all animals should be pre-stunned before they're slaughtered, in order that they should suffer less. So they came to us, the Jews, and they say, listen, you also should be pre-stunning your animals. We want you also to pre-stun. The law is, in many countries in Europe, that any animal has to be pre-stunned. They have, to have, they have a stun gun, they put it to the animal's brain, knock it out, and then they would shecht it. Then they would cut its throat. Let's just make clear, everyone wants to cut the animal's throat while its heart is still beating. Because that's the way to get out all the blood. So the Jews and the non-Jews all want to slaughter the animal while its heart is beating. Right, the best pump in the world, the heart, will then take out all the blood. If you don't do that, then the blood is going to turn hard inside the animal and it will be very, very difficult to get it out. And no one wants to eat blood. So the way the non-Jews have decided to do this is by pre-stunning the animal. The animal is now knocked out, he's not dead. They'll then slit its throat and the blood will be pumped out by the heart. Why? And they want us to agree to do that too. That's all they're asking of us. We're not going we to ban your shita. First, just pre-stun the animal like we do. And we, the stubborn Jews, won't agree to that. Why can't we agree to that? Why can't we agree to pre-stunning the animal before it's shechted? We have a halacha of a treif. A treif is any animal that has something wrong with it, that because of that, it won't live for a year. Any illness that the animal might have, that the animal will die from, will probably die from within a year, makes the animal a treif, and we can't eat it, it can't be shechted. Even if it's shechted, it's not kosher. The same thing would apply if it's got broken limbs, right? If it's got a broken leg. So the animal in a normal situation wouldn't be able to live for a year like that. It would die of starvation. And such an animal, therefore, is not kosher. If you've just blown out the animal's brains with a stun gun, so maybe he's not dead, but he's certainly going to die pretty soon, even if you don't shecht him. That's the reason why we can never agree to a stun gun. Because every animal will become a treif. And we wouldn't be able to eat any of them, so it wouldn't even help to shecht them after they've had this stun gun put to their heads. But nevertheless, we still say we're going to carry on shechting. Because our claim in this argument is that you have no proof that our way of slaughtering an animal is any less humane than your way of slaughtering an animal. And we can prove that. 
There have been public arguments about this in many different forums. A few years ago in the British Parliament, they had a very big debate about this. At the time, the British Parliament wanted to pass a law that would mean that any animal, any meat that was slaughtered according to the Jewish law of Shrita would have to have a special sticker on it so that everyone would know, so that all the animal lovers would be able to keep away from it because it had, the animal had been, had been slaughtered in the cruel ritual way. That was their claim. And we, the Jewish community, had to object to that. Because admitting that, and having all our meat with this special stamp on, by the way, a very large amount of, of, of meat that's slaughtered in a Jewish slaughterhouse is sold to the non-Jews. Not just because it may have come out not kosher, which is one reason, but otherwise because, also because of the problem of the, the, the gidanashe, the senyu, in the back of the animal, which we need to take out for it to be kosher, a process called nikor, which sometimes can be very expensive. So in many slaughterhouses, they just cut the animal in half, and the hind parts they sell to the non-Jews. So there's a lot of meat that was slaughtered that is being sold to non-Jews, and at that time the British Parliament wanted it, a note, a sign on any meat that the non-Jews would be buying to say that it was slaughtered by Jewish slaughter and wasn't pre-stunned. And that is not something that we would want to be happening because it would be an admission that our way of slaughtering is a cruel way, which it's not. So anyway, let's get to what the arguments were at that time, the arguments that were brought up for and against the Jewish community at the time in London got hold of a top cardiologue, heart doctor to, to explain the case in favour of Shrita. And his explanation was pretty much like this. Jewish slaughtering has to be done with a razor-sharp knife. Anyone who's learning Shrita has to know one of the main tests that they have to go through after they've learnt all the halachot is they have to know how to sharpen their knife properly so that it's razor, razor sharp. You can't saw at the animal's neck and you can't press with the knife on the animal's neck, which are processes which might hurt more. It has to be, the throat of the animal has to be cut with a key, clean cut with a razor sharp knife, which will immediately cut, according to the halakha, it has to cut the esophagus and the tracheus, that's the food pipe and the windpipe, it has to cut them in the first cut. Now, it just so happens that in all kosher animals, the main arteries that take blood to the brain run between the esophagus and the tracheus at the front of the neck, while in most non-kosher animals, those arteries taking the blood to the brain are at the back of the neck. So, as soon as you slit these two pipes, the air pipe and the food pipe, the wind pipe and the food pipe, you've also immediately cut the main arteries that are taking blood to the brain. No blood to the brain. Ask anyone who's involved in first aid. That's the reason why people faint. And where you've just cut the main arteries to the brain and you have a fall in blood pressure in, in blood flow of blood to the brain so drastically within two to three seconds the animal 
has fainted. The animal has passed out. He's now no longer feeling anything. His heart is still pumping. He may not be dead yet. He may even be making noises and he may even be moving. But he's totally unconscious right now and feels nothing. Within two to three seconds of the first cut being made. If you ever cut yourself with a razor, you'll know that after, you know, you don't actually feel anything until you look at your hands or whatever, you cut yourself and you start see the blood. The same thing with the animal. Before it even realizes that its throat has been cut, it's passed out. And therefore doesn't feel any pain. They did tests to prove this. After shechting the animal, they injected um, dye into its heart to see where the blood goes. And afterwards they dissected the animal and found that there was no dyed blood in its brain. A proof that no more blood is going from the brain to the brain after the animals had been shafted. They found the dyed blood in all the other parts of the animal, but not in the brain. A fall of a, a, a drop in blood pressure to the brain, immediate fainting. If you were to add electrodes, to, if you put electrodes to the brain of the cow, you might find that there's action there. They did find that there's action there, and therefore the non-Jews said, hey, look, there's action going on in its brain. We put, we put sensors to its brain, and we see action. So it must be that it's feeling the pain. But that doesn't prove anything, because when someone is unconscious, they can have dreams. Their brain is working. If you, if you knock someone out for an operation, if you give them a general anesthetic, so they can have dreams and they can remember the dreams afterwards, even though at the time of the operation, of course, they feel absolutely nothing. So that all proves nothing. After this argument in the British Parliament, the RSPCA, that's the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, who were one of the big people that was pushing to have Shita, um banned, either banned or have all meats um have well, all meat with stickers on it so everyone could know that it was shechted. So the RSPCA came out after the argument with a statement. By the way, the decision in the parliament was that there's no proof. Right? There's no proof that it's a more that, that they're not that pre-stunning is a better way than our way. There was no proof of it, and therefore, thank God, the British Parliament rejected the idea of of uh putting any restrictions at all. On Schrita. The RSPCA came out with a statement after the debate saying that they admit, they agree, in it, you're right, there was no proof either way. There's no proof that Schrita is a cruel way to slaughter an animal. There's no proof that pre-stunning is any better than the way that we, the Jews, do it. But, said the, the head of the RSPCA, I can't believe I'm quoting for now from what he said. I can't believe that a way of slaughtering an animal that was invented two, three thousand years ago had the good of the animal at heart. And also, it cannot be, he says, it cannot be that today 
with all the advancement of technology, that we don't have a better way of doing it. It just cannot be, said the head of the RSPCA. So, he said, seeing as we don't have any proof, my decision is anyway, we're going to give the benefit of the doubt to the animal. Okay, we can't argue with that. He wants to give the benefit of the doubt to the animal. I would say, let's give the benefit of the doubt to the Jews who've been doing this for thousands of years. Anyway, thank God that's not the argument right now. The British Parliament decided that they're, they're putting this on the side until someone comes up with some proof. But let's look at what this guy said. He can't believe that a way of slaughtering an animal that was invented, in inverted commas, thousands of years ago, that it had the good of the animal at heart. Is that true? Let's look in our Torah. Does our Torah care about the suffering of animals? Very much so. A hundred years ago, did the non-Jews care about suffering of animals? Did anyone care about the suffering of animals a hundred years ago? No one did. In the last few years, in the last 30, 40 years maybe, the, there's been a, a lot more awareness to the suffering of animals and people are much more care, care about it much more. But a hundred years ago, who cared? Who thought about the suffering of an animal? Only the Jew did. Only we cared about the suffering of the animal. A couple of hundred years ago, my history is, my dates are not so good, maybe it was less than a couple of hundred years ago, there was a ban made by the Jewish community on eating foie de gras. Foie de gras is duck's liver, a delicacy that you get all over the world, in all the best restaurants, as a, as a, as a starter, and the way that they make it is really, really cruel. Because they would take a duck, and from the day that the duck is born, they stick it on a pipe, on a feeding pipe, and it stays there for its whole life. It doesn't even get to walk outside, it never sees the sun. It doesn't even get to walk on grass ever. It just stuck to this pipe for its whole life, and every few hours, the pipe opens and food is stuffed into the duck until it gets fatter and fatter and fatter, and then they slaughter it, and its liver is supposed to be very expensive, but very tasty, excuse me. Said the rabbis a couple of hundred years ago, this is not right. We can't eat this, and they made a ban. They made a ban on eating duck's liver, foie de gras. That ban in many places is still true today. Nowadays, you actually can get foie de gras in, in kosher restaurants. But nevertheless, most, most of the good hechsherim won't give a hechsher to duck's liver. Because of this, even today, today they have more rules about what you have to do with the duck, how you have to treat the duck. It's not cruel in the same way that it was before. They let the duck liver roam around for a couple of years before they attach it to the pipe. But nevertheless, the non-Jews didn't dream of banning duck's liver. Only we did, only the Jews did. But even before that, let's look in our Torah, at the mitzvahs that are connected to animal suffering. When you are plowing with an ox, you're not allowed to put a muzzle on him. 
Why would you put a mazel on him so it won't eat? But that's cruel. This poor ox is working hard ploughing the fields and he's seeing food all around him. And he can't eat anything. Can you imagine a more cruel thing? Says our Torah, we don't do that. A Jew is not allowed to muzzle his donkey with, or muzzle his ox while he's ploughing a field because it's cruel. The animal is suffering. You're not allowed to plough with a donkey and an ox together on the same plough. You can't put them together. You have a donkey and an ox together and a plough pulling a plough behind them. You can't do that. It's an Isur from the Torah. Why? What's wrong with doing that? The ox is a big strong animal. The donkey is strong but it's much smaller. He can't go as fast as the ox. So if you put an ox and a donkey together, the ox is going to be dragging the donkey along behind him. How the poor donkey is going to be feeling? He's going to be feeling really bad. It's his worst day. This is the worst thing that could happen to him, to be dragged behind the ox. And he can't get out of it. He's tied to this all. He's tied to the yoke. Whatever it is, whatever you call it, the thing that pulls the plough along. He's tied to this. He can't get away from it. And the donkey's going to be, and the, the, don, the, the ox is going to be dragging him around all day long. What suffering this poor donkey's going to be going through. Who cared about the suffering of the donkey? Who cares about the suffering of the donkey? The Jews care about the suffering of the donkey. Only we cared about the suffering of the donkey. Only we, the Jewish people, have been saying for thousands of years, you're not allowed to put an ox and a donkey together because the poor little donkey is going to be feeling bad. He's not going to feel good there. Our non-Jewish brothers would say such a thing. They had a thoughts about these things and now they're coming to tell us that they don't believe that when we when, when Shrita was started, it was started with any thoughts about the suffering of animals. We have a mitzvah of Shiloh HaKem. Shiluch HaKen means that if you want to take eggs from a nest, first of all you have to send away the mother. The mother is sitting there on her eggs waiting for them to hatch. And yeah, we're allowed to take the eggs. But you mustn't take the eggs while the mother is there. Because it will cause tremendous, tremendous suffering for the mother to see her eggs being taken. She cares so much about these eggs. That if we take, for us to take those eggs in front of the mother, is cruelty. It's cruelty to animals. We're worried about the suffering of a pigeon. Are our non-Jewish brothers worried about the suffering of a pigeon? Have we ever heard them being worried about how a pigeon might suffer to have the eggs, its eggs taken away? Or a duck? Never heard of such a thing. But thousands of years ago, our Torah told us we have to be careful about this. We don't want um, a duck to suffer in this way that it'll see its eggs being taken. We're allowed to take its eggs. We're allowed to slaughter animals. We're allowed to use animals in any way that we need for ourselves. 
They were given for us to benefit from them and use them. But to make them suffer, even in such a small way, for a donkey to suffer, to be put on a, on a, on a plow together with an ox, or to put a muzzle on an ox, but the time it's plowing and it can't eat freely, that's, that, that, we said, cannot be. And the non-Jews can say that we didn't care about animal suffering 3,000 years ago. It says in Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael is the, 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 the most, most, the most uh, powerful statement of our belief in Hashem. And it says in there, And I've given grass in your fields, for your animals, and you will eat, and you'll be satisfied, and you'll make a blessing to Hashem. From here we learn the bracha of Birkat Amazon that we say after we've eaten bread. It's a mitzvah from the Torah to say Birkat Amazon. It's the only bracha that is from the Torah. All the other brachot are the Rabbanan. And from here says the Gemara Mesechet Brachot. Why does it say Venatati Esav Besadecha Lebehemtecha? I have given grass in the fields for your animals. And then it says afterwards Verachalta Vesavata Uvrachta. And you will then eat and drink and be satisfied. And, and, and bless, bless Hashem. Says the Gemara Mesechet Brachot. The reason why it says that is because there's a special mitzvah. First, you have to feed your animals and only then are you allowed to eat. A farmer who gets up early in the morning must make sure that his animals have had food before he can sit down to have a break, have his breakfast. He's allowed to have a cup of coffee. But then he has to go out and feed his animals. He can't sit down and eat while his animals haven't yet eaten. That's cruel. That's putting yourself before the animal. It doesn't say you have to feed your guests before you eat. It says you have to feed your animals. You have to feed your cows and your donkeys and your horses and your ducks and your chickens. You have to feed them all before you can sit down to have your breakfast. If you've got a goldfish, you have to give the goldfish his food, before you sit down to have your breakfast. What greater statement can there be? What greater expression can there be of our care for animals? That we're even going to make sure that we're not going to sit down and eat while they are going hungry. There are other proofs that I could bring from our Torah about how important it is for us that animals should not fire, the Gemara should not should not suffer. The Gemara in Mesechet Baba Metziah, when it's discussing the mitzvah of Prikan Te'ina, from there we learn that Tzar Ba'alechaim is the writer, the suffering. It's a, it's, a, it's an issa from the Torah, 
to cause suffering to animals in any way that's not necessary. So certainly, the way that Hashem told us to slaughter an animal, it should be the most humane way, and we can expect it to be the most humane way, and as far as we know, up until today, it is the most humane way. And therefore, our argument with the non-Jews is not that, well, we have a Torah from 3,000 years ago that tells us to shecht. So even if it's cruel to the animal, we're not going, we're going to carry on doing it. That doesn't need to be our argument. One day it might need to be. Today it doesn't need to be. Our argument with the non-Jews is, we claim that our way is the most humane way to, to slaughter an animal. Yes, it was a way that was introduced two, three thousand years ago. But nevertheless, even with all the advances in technology, there's no, there's no quicker, better and less painful way to slaughter an animal than with the Jewish type of shechita. With that, I'd like to leave it here for today and wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakhic consultation, monetary Beddin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at theshc.org to subscribe.